0: this gospel together also in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 35. The second commandment is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children, to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Concerning this, we confess in Lord's Day 35, which is found on page 552 in the Book of Praise the church confesses, what does God require in the second commandment? We are not to make an image of God in any way, nor to worship him in any other manner than he has commanded in his word. May we then not make any image at all? God cannot and may not be visibly portrayed in any way. Creatures may be portrayed, but God forbids us to make or have any images of them in order to worship them or to serve God through them. But may images not be tolerated in the churches as books for the laity? No, for we should not be wiser than God. He wants his people to be taught not by means of dumb images, but by the living preaching of his word. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when we look to the Sermon on the Mount to find our Lord's explanation of the second commandment, which reveals God's will about how we are to worship the one true God, then Matthew 5, verses 17 to 20 and Matthew 6, verses 1 to 18 immediately draw our attention In both these passages, our Lord teaches us that the desires of our heart when we worship are important. And we learn that the worship that God has commanded in his word is sincere, thankful, humble, and focused on God and his kingdom rather than on ourselves or the opinions of others. And since the gospel of Matthew 6, verses 1 to 18, has been preached in this congregation along with the Lord's Prayer, today we'll focus especially on Matthew 5, verses 17 to 20. And the gospel of Matthew 5, verses 17 to 20, is centered on Christ's clear announcement that He had come. He uses the language that messengers or soldiers might use to explain that they had come from somewhere else to be with us now for a specific purpose. The Son of God has indeed come to the world, and he had come from heaven and was sent by God for a very specific and a wonderful and a noble purpose. Christ had come to change the situation of everyone who believed in him. And so the coming of Christ would have profound effects on the church's obedience to the second commandment. Although we worship the same sovereign creator, almighty covenant God, whom the faithful remnant worshipped throughout the Old Testament, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ changed how we worship God Because after his coming, the church will always approach God in worship through him. The Lord Jesus shows the Jewish people that the true continuation of the Old Testament is not found in an extensive system of laws and outward acts of piety, but in a life that is centered on Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus shows us that there is a significant contrast between the worship of the Pharisees and scribes and the worship of his disciples, between Judaism and Christianity, between legalism and the fruit of the Spirit, between earning love by our merits and receiving God's love as a gift of grace. And I preach to you this gospel of Jesus Christ under this theme, Citizens of the Kingdom of Heaven, Worship the Lord in Jesus Christ. We'll see that Christ fulfilled the law and the prophets. And secondly, Christ carries us beyond superficial worship. In Matthew 5, verses 17 to 18, our Lord Jesus confirms that even after his coming into the world, the church must continue to be directed in her worship by the Word of God. His mention of the law and the prophets refers to the entire Old Testament, the law being the first five books of the Bible, and the prophets including not only the, named, uh, the, the books named after prophets, but also the books that are often referred to as the historical books. By assuring us that he had not come to the earth from heaven to throw out the Old Testament, our Lord Jesus affirms that worship in the Christian church cannot exclude the revelation that we have given to us in the Old Testament. The shape of our worship and its practices must be based both on the Old Testament and the New Testament. And this is an important message for many people who teach that the law of God has been replaced with grace and who would argue that the instruction of the New Testament cancels out God's revealed will in the Old Testament. A religion without the creation ordinances, the revealed will of God in the law and prophets, that's a different religion than the Christian faith that our Lord Jesus revealed, as he himself illustrates in the very words that follow in this very Sermon on the Mount. Our Lord Jesus makes it clear that fulfillment of the law can only confirm its truth but not, and not cast doubt upon it. The word fulfill in our text in verse 17 of, of the text means that as a result of his incarnation coming to, 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 be, to be conceived and born on the earth, and as a result of his ministry, his death, his resurrection and ascension, and now his rule from heaven, Jesus Christ changed our relationship to the law and the prophets. He changed their influence on our lives. Before he came... The law and the prophets served a different purpose than they did after he came and after he was exalted to glory. This is because Jesus Christ is the one to whom all the law and the prophets were pointing. The Old Testament was the first part of God's revelation concerning his plan of salvation and redemption. It was like a blueprint or a model that revealed his promises for the church, that let the church know what Jesus Christ would look like. And when Jesus came, he announced that he was the Messiah that had been signified and pointed to in the entire Old Testament. He embodied the promises. He gave a body to see what God meant so that we could see what God meant with the promises he manifests the love of God toward his people who had fallen into sin and rebellion. When he came, he was the office bearer to whom all the Old Testament office bearers were pointing. The temple where heaven and earth met together and the sacrifice that the Old Testament sacrifices were anticipating. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law and the prophets and so he made the gospel message that was first revealed in these rituals more clear for everyone to see because he accomplished what they were actually pointing to and then in verse 18 our lord jesus explains exactly that that he had come into the world to accomplish every part of the law that god had established the iota and the dot are references to the smallest marks of the letters that God used to write down his plan and his will for his creatures. Jesus revealed that at the end of all time here on the earth, when heaven and earth pass away, we will see that every iota and every dot of God's plan of salvation will be complete. And we will see that That Jesus Christ is part of the plan, and not just a small part, but the main show. When our Lord Jesus spoke these words, he still had more to accomplish, for he had not yet completed his ministry on earth. His disciples would learn even more from his teaching, and they would see how he would fulfill the ceremonial and the civil laws of the Old Testament with his own sacrifice and his exaltation. And today also we can say that God's work on the earth through his son Jesus Christ is not yet complete. For the wheat and the tares are still growing together. The expansion of the kingdom through the preaching of the word guided by the Holy Spirit is not yet finished. And the promised final day of judgment has not yet taken place. And at the same time, We can know that it will all be accomplished because, as our Lord said, He had come for this very purpose, to do all that. And whoever believes in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior may already share in the certainty of the redemption that He has obtained for us. Well, the entire ministry of our Lord Jesus, who fulfilled the law and the prophets, is a great comfort for believers because we may know that He has accomplished the goal of our faith for us and in our place. He did the work and He lets us share in what He accomplished. The law and the prophets aren't there. We don't read and study them now so that they might point out and condemn us for what we have not done, but they serve as a testimony and an announcement of what Christ has done for us and in our place. We can look at the law and the prophets and and we can see in them the testimony of what Christ has done for us. We can see his work, whereas the Old Testament only announced that it was possible to have peace with God to live in fellowship with our Creator in a life of obedience to His will, Jesus obtained this peace. He fulfilled all righteousness as a true, humble, obedient child of God who truly worshipped God according to His Word in perfect obedience to the second commandment. And ever since He has come into the world... We must now always talk about the law and the prophets and Jesus Christ. And this was the great error of the Pharisees and scribes of Jesus' days. That is an error that actually continues to plague people even to this day. Considering that the second commandment has to do with worshiping the one true God rightly, it is of the utmost importance that we understand how Christ, complete, His completed work, shapes the character of our worship as a New Testament, New Covenant believing church. Our Lord Jesus addresses this in verses 19 and 20 of Matthew 5. And we see that in our second point that Christ carries us beyond superficial worship. Although the Lord Jesus was clear that nothing that he came to do stood in contradiction to the law and the prophets, he also made it very clear that the so-called righteousness that was lived by the scribes and Pharisees was not enough for them to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And it's really quite surprising to associate the words relaxing the commandments with the Pharisees and the scribes who were were known in their days for their devotion to the iotas and the dots of the law. They had developed a whole system of rules all around the Old Testament law in order to ensure that they and their followers never even came close to breaking the commandments. There was instruction about washings, about money dedicated to the Lord, about tithing to the smallest herbs, and about the exact definition of what constituted breaking the, 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 the command to not work on the Sabbath day. They had a lot of rules, and they were very zealous to, to keep those rules. But as long as they did not Receive, as long as they did not accept and and believe that Jesus Christ was the promised Messiah, they were outside the kingdom. They would never enter the kingdom if they would not receive Jesus Christ as the one to whom the Old Testament blueprints were pointing see, the Jewish leaders were clinging to the shadows and the promises while the Messiah was standing right there in front of them, telling them that he had come to fulfill the Old Testament. And our Lord Jesus in his teaching shows us how important it is to keep Christ Jesus in the center of all our worship. Christ Jesus had indeed come and he has become to us our wisdom from God, our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Like the, the hub that holds all the spokes in the wheel together. Or that piece of wood that keeps all the bristles of the broom together. Jesus Christ is the foundation and the center that connected and gave meaning and substance to the law and the prophets. Without Christ, you will just have a pile of shiny spokes and broom bristles. And the Lord Jesus taught that the law and the prophets depended on or they, they hung on two commandments of love which he had fulfilled perfectly. This is what Jesus meant when he told his disciples that their righteousness needed to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. To enter the kingdom of heaven, we need to receive Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. We need to accept his righteousness as our righteousness, even though it comes to us from outside of us, and love God. And our neighbor with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. Superficial worship without love, says Paul, leaves us as noisy gongs and clanging cymbals. There's some debate about what our Lord Jesus means when he refers to one of the least of these commandments. It may be a reference to the distinction that the Jews made between the heavy or more serious commandments and the lighter commandments that have a smaller impact on human lives. But the phrase could also be translated as these small commandments. and could be referring to the Beatitudes that he had just taught them, which were to be used as the lens to interpret the entire law of God. And however we understand it, our Lord Jesus is making clear that if we fail to love God and our neighbor or to have the humble attitude revealed to us in the blessed statements, then our obedience is merely superficial, just on, just on the outside. And we are not keeping the fullness of of God's commandments, worship that consists of only superficially following some rules and trying to be worthy of a place in the kingdom of of God through our own good works. That's not enough, and Jesus Christ is clear about that. The good news is that our Lord Jesus, who came down from heaven, brings the fullness of obedience to the lives of everyone who believes in Him because He carries us from that superficial worship to a true submission and confession and repentance and love. We see that so clearly in the blessed statements that we read together true Christian love must start with Christ and as a fruit of God's grace first shown to us. When we try to worship the Lord by our own actions without receiving Christ's completed work on our behalf, we are actually repeating the error of the Pharisees and scribes. It's like Jesus is standing right here announcing that He has come and fulfilled the law and the prophets and He has accomplished it all and then we just ignore Him and we end up trying with all our might to be better people without having His work as a real part of our lives. So often in our lives we we stop at the righteousness displayed by the Pharisees and scribes, convinced that we can earn our way into heaven based on our obedience to the commandments of God. And we don't move on to the rest of God's gracious gift of love that was manifest in His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the, the voice of His text speaking to us Again this afternoon. have you ever found yourself looking at the things that you feel that you need to do as if they were a checklist of the things that you owe God before He will love you? And not remembering to also write down the work that Christ has done for you and in your place, which would, in fact, Allow us to check every to-do we have written down and reveal to us that right now already we are innocent in God's sight. So often we think we fall into the trap of thinking again that we are standing there alone before a cold and demanding judge trying to earn his approval while failing to recognize That if we believe in Christ, that Almighty God has already become our Father. And that we are already His beloved adopted children. So often, we allow our own consciences and God's enemies to accuse us and to belittle us. And to point out all those things we haven't done good enough. And all the while, the Savior, whom our loving Father sent from heaven to redeem us, is standing beside us as our perfect mediator, proving that our consciences and and even the devil himself, they're big liars. We are innocent in God's sight, in Jesus Christ. And that's why we give thanks to the Lord for the second commandment, which tells us in no uncertain terms to stop trying to get to him, to, to earn a place in, in his kingdom through these images that we have carved from created materials. Today there are several pictures or images that we have in our minds about what Christian worship should look like. And these images can even lead us away from Christ-centered worship and put all the focus on on what we want to do. The traditions we've grown accustomed to from childhood, they may be hard to change when our sovereign God places us in in hardships, but they can be changed, they must be changed, if they hinder the work of Jesus Christ who rules and governs His church on earth from His throne in heaven. Seeking to glorify God as the body of Jesus Christ seeking to walk in fellowship with Him, citizens of the kingdom of heaven will be careful not to mix the means of our worship with the object of our worship, who is Jesus Christ, our King. Another aspect of the application of the second commandment was brought out in the first years of the 21st century when a paper was written about another created image, false image of God, that completely removed the gospel of Jesus Christ from the so-called Christianity of many young people in North America. This Christless Christianity was named moralistic, therapeutic deism. It was described as believing that God exists, that God is up there and he's watching over human life, but he's far removed And he only expects people to turn to him when we're in trouble. That's what deism is. The mindset of many youth today, religion is seen as a series of instructions that are there to teach us how to be good and nice and fair to others. Very similar to every other religion in the world. That's the moralism in the the title. And that religion also is only here as a therapist, helping you to be a nice person until you join all the the good people in heaven when you die. And That's the extent of faith for many, many people in the world. You, You deserve to be happy. If you need him, God is up there to try to live a nice life. Well, and as a result, you can see why so many people believe they can worship God without confessing their sins, without going to church, or without even believing in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And it's no wonder then that any evil and suffering in this life, and we can see it especially now in the times of COVID, how this became such a stumbling block to the Christian faith for so many people. And then the second commandment comes into this situation. It shines like a light and urges us to see that it is a sin to live in such a vain pursuit of, of happiness and goodness in your heart. And that true peace and joy can only be found as active members of a local church where you are taught by the living preaching of the Word that God is a holy God who punishes sinners who rebel against Him, but a gracious Father who sent His Son to bear the punishment against those who turn to Him, who believe in Him, to love Him, who walk with Him in fellowship whether that be in prosperity or in adversity. The second commandment, again, in this context, speaks forbidding Christless Christianity. Well, Sometimes we fall into the sin of making our own interpretations of the Ten Commandments the condition or the doorway that stands in front of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Combining the zeal of traditionalism with the moralism of the the MTD of moralistic therapeutic deism, we end up judging whether or not people are Christians by the ethical decisions they make without paying any attention to their public profession of faith in Jesus Christ that is sincerely spoken by their mouths and their faithful subscription to God's Word and the confessions. The Holy Spirit leads us, that's right, to to seek to be holy in our lives. He wants us to use the Ten Commandments as the, the compass that guides us in our thankful obedience and to discuss obedience to these commandments with each other in humble recognition that sometimes we don't know everything, but we are not worshiping the Lord in Jesus Christ if we make our willingness to live in unity with other Christians dependent on their political views or even their sincere application of the Ten Commandments, even if it is done in weakness in a time of learning. Paul teaches us then how to move past this superficial worship to to again bring Christ first, that profession of faith in Jesus Christ first, And he says in Romans 13, Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And as we strive for this holiness as citizens of the eternal kingdom of God, let us begin each day, let us begin each conversation with our neighbor with a heartfelt thank you to God for His amazing grace to us sinners as we rejoice in the once for all completed work of Jesus Christ in whom we find the foundation for our faith, a foundation for our unity, and in the one Spirit who makes us to desire to glorify God in all our situations. And then we'll see that as the Spirit leads us in our faith in Jesus Christ, as citizens of the eternal kingdom, we live in different contexts and those context determine what obedience looks like in our lives. And you can think, for example, and this is an ethical question, but you can think that the difference of the rule of having a beer, for some it might be fine to have a beer, but for a recovering alcoholic, it isn't. But does that change their behavior? Does that change their faith in Jesus Christ? And then we see our unity is found in our common faith in Jesus Christ, in our creed, in our profession, that He is and has done everything for us. And then that lifestyle of thankfulness flows out from this unity. Our common creed precedes the different conduct that the commandments that proceeds from the spirit of our one King. And so we may always Worship the Lord in love in Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. May God bless us with worship that is centered on Christ and not on ourselves, on God's grace and not the merits of people and on Christ-like love that flows from all that he has obtained for us. Amen.